Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7. There by inspiration Luke writes, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Please be seated. We continue our series on what does the Bible say by looking at the question, what does the Bible say about the Lord's Day and the Lord's Supper? Now, before I get into this lesson, I need to make one very important point. Our God deserves more than one day a week. Our God deserves more than just one day of praise. We should each day praise God. Each day we need to talk to God. Each day we need to study from His Word. But should we substitute just any day for what we call the Lord's Day worship? What makes what we call the Lord's Day worship unique? Well, we can pray every day. We can praise Him in song every day. We can study from His Word every day. The one element of worship that is reserved just for one day each week, the first day of the week, is that observance of the Lord's Supper. Before Jesus would go to the cross, before He would be put on that cross, he instituted what we call today the Lord's Supper. It's found in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, Luke chapter 22, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you were to go out and ask people, what can you tell us about those folks that are the Church of Christ people? Very likely they're going to say one of two things. Very likely, they're going to say, well, those are the people who don't use instruments in their song service. And that's correct. The other thing they may say about us is the fact that we observe the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. And every week uh, does happen to have a first day. See, that is unique among the religious world. Because we look at the religious world, they take the Lord's Supper, well, it just depends. Some take it uh, twice a year. Some take it uh, once a quarter or maybe once a month. But we take it every first day of every week. Why? Why do we do that? Well, we believe in a New Testament first century pattern. We believe that God, through inspiring those men who wrote what we call the New Testament, we believe that they instituted, and the first century church followed it, a pattern. What is that pattern? And regarding the first day of the week and the Lord's Supper. 
Well, in this lesson, I'm going to prove, try to prove two things. First off, I'm going to try to prove that the first century church, they met together on the first day of the week. The second thing which I'm going to try to prove tonight is that there is a, you might call it a marriage. In other words, there's a connection. There's a marriage between the Lord's day and the Lord's supper. Now, let's look at point number one. The first century Christians met on the first day. Now, some people would say, well, there's really no need to meet together. There's actually people that would say, you can be just as pleasing to God, just stay at home. Well, I think you're going to miss something. Let's look at what they did in the first century. In the first century, they very clearly came together as a group to encourage one another, to study with one another, and to certainly praise and worship God. Let's look at that. Acts chapter 11, for the whole year they met with the church. Acts chapter 14, when they arrived, they gathered the church together. 1 Corinthians 5, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for in the first place, when you come together as a church. 1 Corinthians 14, if therefore the whole church comes together. What is that saying to us? That's saying that the first century church, they came together to worship together as a, as a corporate body of Christians, as a family of Christians. In fact, I'm going to say this. Meeting together, meeting together was necessary and required. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We want to increase our love. We want to increase our good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day, notice I have that in red. I want to come back to that word. The more as you see the day drawing near. In one of the books written by Mark Twain, one of the characters says this about Christians. He said, Christians are church-going people. Well, he's got the wrong definition of the word church there, but I understand his point. We are church-going people. We come together as a body to, to help one another, to worship God, to love one another, and to love God. In fact, I'm going to say to you that God expects us to meet together, to worship Him. Well, okay, so we've got the first point halfway established. We got it established that the early church did meet together. But how often? That's the next part of that first point. How often did they meet together? At a minimum, the New Testament points to one particular day for meeting together. In that verse right there, it says the day. 
We call it the Lord's Day. We call it Sunday. It's the first day of the week. Now, how do we know that? Well, let's look at the journeys of Paul. Paul is on a missionary journey. In fact, he's on his third missionary journey. In the verse that Billy shared with us just a moment ago, Acts 20, verse 7. He's traveling from Philippi over in Greece. He's going all the way back to Jerusalem. He stops off at a city called Troas. Troas is on the northwest corner of what we call today the country of Turkey. And what happens? On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread... The church came together on the first day of the week. But some people might say, well, Michael, that that was probably a called meeting. That was a, a special meeting there. I don't think so. Let's look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, he's collecting funds to take back to Jerusalem to help the church there that's experiencing a a terrible drought. There's hunger, there's poverty, and the church there needs financial help. He says this, As I directed the churches of Galatia. Now, where was Galatia? Galatia would be the middle section, approximately the middle section of the country of Turkey. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. What? On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Now, why were they doing this on the first day? I would say to you they're doing it because they were coming together. Because they're coming together as a church, and as a church, Paul says, since you're there already, go ahead and lay up and store for this special need. Now, he says they're doing it in Galatia. He's writing this to the church in Corinth. That's in, uh, uh, that's in Greece. And he's uh, uh, over in Troas, in Acts 20, he's in Troas, on northwest corner of Turkey. We got a wide range of area there from middle Turkey all the way over to Greece. And the Christians are all coming together on the first day of the week. Meeting on the first day of the week was and is God's instituted pattern for his church. Now, what happened with Paul there in Troas is very unique because Paul actually waited. Now, he's in a hurry. It says over in verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, Paul wants to get back to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But he waits seven days. It says in verse 6, he waited seven days. Why does he wait seven days? Because he wants to meet with the church. 
And the church came together as a body on the first day of the week. Do we have anything else that would support that idea? Yes, we do. We have the test of history. Now, history can only help to prove our interpretation of the Bible. Uh, history does not set the standard. God's Word set the standard. But history does serve as a way to supplement our understanding of what the Bible is saying in doing. So what does history say about the pattern of the church coming together? Well, let's look at two sources here. First one, Justin Martyr. This is an artist's uh, conception of what he may have looked like. Uh, he lived in the second century A.D., and in 155, he is writing as a Christian to the emperor. Emperor Antonius Pius was his name. And what he's doing is he is defending Christianity. There's been some accusations against Christianity, and he wants to clear it up. In that paper that he writes to the emperor, he talks about the Christian worship. And what does he say about it? He says that the early Christians came together on the first day of the week. Now, we go beyond Justin Martyr. Let's look at one other source. It's a source called the Didache. It is a uh, early second uh, century document. In fact, it might even be very, very late first century. It's a document uh, filled with a lot of different information. In that document, it has a section on worship, reporting about what the early church was doing in their worship. What does it mention? It mentions first day of the week worship. I would propose to you that point one has been proven that the early church did come together as a body on the first day of the week. But people would say, well, so what? So what? They had a Sunday assembly. So what? Until recently, we could look at our brotherhood in every congregation that I knew of met on the first day of the week. That changed about 21, 22, 23 years ago when I noticed a news story in the Christian Chronicle about one of our sister congregations having a Saturday night worship. And they were going to have observance of the Lord's Supper on Saturday night. That one occurrence has now become many congregations. You go to their websites and you will see that they have a, a Saturday night worship. Why change? Why have they changed? As far as I can tell, only one reason. They're trying to meet the demands and preferences of people. 
But in meeting the demands and preferences of people, they are failing to do something. What are they failing? They're failing to recognize the significance of the first day of the week worship. Because first day of the week worship reminds us of what happened on that grand and glorious first day that Jesus arose from the grave. We've already noticed Acts 20 verse 7 upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. We can also look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When you come together, it's not the, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? They were eating the Lord's Supper. They were sharing the Lord's Supper together. We know that they, were ha they had a problem. Their problem was they also had a, a fellowship meal, and, and some of the people had food for the fellowship meal, and, and some of the people did not have food, and, and we know that Paul talks about that. But go back to verse 20. When you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? The Lord's Supper was something that they had on the first day of the week. That was the unique thing that made the first day worship different from any other day of worship. In fact, we can go back once again and look at history. The two sources that I've already mentioned to you both testify to the Sunday observance of the Lord's Supper. The connection between the first day of the week and the Lord's Supper is really not surprising. It makes sense. God put Sunday assembly and the Lord's Supper together because that's the day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. When we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the timeline for the approximately three-year ministry of Jesus is somewhat uh, hard to peg down. It's hard to determine when this miracle took place. It's hard to determine what day that, that this teaching was done on. But it's very clear when the greatest miracle took place, and that was his resurrection from the grave. All four gospel accounts make it very, very clear. It's the first day of the week. First day of the week. Everyone. Timeline suddenly becomes important. Why? Because we remember that first day of the week. And then later on, that very first day, Jesus met with his disciples. When? On the evening of the first day of the week. The Lord's Supper is a memorial to his death, but it's also a memorial that reminds us of the greatest miracle ever, the resurrection of our Lord, victorious over death. That's the pattern that we have in the New Testament. And that's a pattern that we follow. But I'm here to tell you that we can still get the Lord's Supper wrong. Even though I firmly believe we are right in taking it on the first day of the week, we are very right in following that pattern. We can still get the Lord's Supper wrong. 
we can end up making it a mindless ritual. About 40 years ago, in the city of Perigal, the city decided to, um, well, the city didn't like the fact that the cable company kept on increasing the prices. So the city said, well, we'll just put our own cable system in. And they did. In fact, the story was on uh, 60 Minutes about how a little town uh, was um, taking over the cable business. Now, the city cable, they needed, by FCC requirements, they needed local programming. So they contacted every church in city and said, if you will buy TV quality cameras and TV quality audio equipment, We'll let you have a whole channel for yourself. Only two churches were willing to do that. We were one of the two. So we bought, uh, it was actually used equipment, but it was still good. We bought the big, giant cameras. We had all the fancy audio equipment. We bought it for $11,000. And we started broadcasting 24-7. We had a channel. You could go to City Cable, turn to Channel 26. That was our channel. And we had it 24-7. One of the things we wanted to do with our TV channel was to, uh, of course, broadcast the worship service. And we told the camera operators on that very first Sunday, now, take your camera, now, during the communion, pan the audience. After we saw the rerun of that, we said to the TV operators, do not pan the audience. Why? You probably have already guessed it. As the camera was panning the audience, there was people messing with their phones. There was people talking about each other. They were passing notes. They, I mean, they were doing everything you could imagine except focusing in on a very solemn, holy in special moment. When we take communion, we need to focus our minds on what it means. We need to focus on what it actually represents. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, to examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. The Lord's Supper is a special time for us to think about what Christ did for us. What is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is exactly what it says. It's the Lord's Supper. It's not ours, it's His. In the same way that He was the host for that Passover meal that where He instituted the Lord's Supper, today, Jesus is still our host. He gives you the Lord's Supper to share among ourselves, to remember His body, to remember His blood. It's His Lord's Supper. It's also a time of thanksgiving. All four gospel accounts use the phrase, give thanks. It's a time of thanksgiving. It's a time to be thankful for what Jesus did for each and every one of us. It's a communion. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he described it as a koinia. 
in the body. A fellowship in the body. It's a communion. It's a fellowship. It's a memorial. It's something we do to remember Him. This do in remembrance of me. And it's a covenant. It's a covenant of blood. You know, covenants, especially in the Old Testament, were sealed with blood. This is a covenant that was sealed with the blood of our Lord. It's a covenant of blood between us and the Lord. So what do we do? As a first century church did, we do likewise. We take communion each and every first day of the week. And I'm glad we do. Because it's a very special time to remember what Jesus has done for all of us. Tonight, are you a Christian? Once again, let's remind ourselves what it takes to become a New Testament Christian. This is Jesus talking to you. Every verse, Jesus is talking to you. Believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Now, most of us have done that. Do we need to seek forgiveness as a Christian? Are we not living according to His will? Are we not bringing glory to His name? Are we missing out on opportunities to serve? If we could pray with you and for you, we stand ready to do that. Tonight, will you please make that decision and come forward as we stand and sing for your encouragement.